And I think oftentimes I'm surprised that, you know, the stories that people will tell me or the patients that will tell me about the impact that I've had on their life, that I may have not even realized it, right? I was just kind of doing what I was trained to do. And so I think that if you put it through that perspective, it can kind of change your mind. I think that's probably the most important thing. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good morning, friends. David Wright here, and I am your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. I am lucky enough today to be joined by Dr. Patrick McGill. Patrick, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me, David. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. So for those of our listeners who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about your current role and where you're currently associated with? Yeah, happy to. So I'm the Chief Transformation Officer at Community Health Network. Community is integrated health system based in Indianapolis, Indiana, kind of your mid-sized health system with five hospitals and four smaller hospitals, about 16,000 caregivers, do full full scale uh, services. We do everything except the exception of pediatric subspecialty and transplant. So as the Chief Transformation Officer, I have the privilege of overseeing a wide range of responsibilities in the organization. I oversee IT, analytics, performance improvement, regulatory reporting, business continuity. And then as of about the last six months, I have responsibility for home care, hospice, and home medical equipment, durable medical equipment, and also clinical and nursing informatics roll into that, as well as some other areas as well. It's a full plate. It is a full plate, but you know, I have a great team of people that work around me, and I think that we've worked over the last few years to really empower people to do the things that they need to get done to be successful. And I think that's one of the things that I'm most proud of over the last few years is my responsibilities have grown, that you know I have a great team of people that are just great to work with, and they make me look a lot smarter and more successful than I probably am. It sounds just like my team. You know, and one of the things that I have really learned about community is the culture that you've created there. I really have a lot of respect and admiration from what I've seen. And, you know, I first learned about you from some of the case studies I read about some of the really cool stuff that you're doing. So I'll look forward to jumping into a little bit of that later. 
But we'd like to start the episode with one piece of actionable advice that you might offer to everyone today. As I think about that question, my piece of actionable advice is never lose your curiosity. It's probably different than what other people you've had on the show, podcasts have given you. But you know, I think curiosity is something that's so important to solve many of the problems that we have today in healthcare or broader society. And what I often see is that sometimes people just lose that curiosity. Maybe the pandemic has created that, or maybe just some of the other challenges that we have. But really, just always be curious and always never take the status quo as what it is. And I think that if you do that every day, you know, you'll continue to see incremental improvement. Love that. And that's important for me to hear. And what I hear when you say that too, is to always be, you know, a student of the world, to always be trying to learn more and being open to it. Because I don't know what I don't know. I think that's so important. I think that's so important. Very cool. So Patrick, you're obviously a doctor, a physician, and a chief transformation officer. So I would like to learn a little bit more about how you started out and how you came to be the chief transformation officer of a, a fairly large health system. It's a fairly vanilla story. So I always joke and say I'm kind of an accidental chief transformation officer. And so I'm a family physician by background, kind of an accidental physician as well. I wanted to be a fighter pilot, you know, as I was going through the process, learned I couldn't fly because of my vision. So I decided to go to medical school. In med school, I made the decision that I wanted to be like the family doctor that I grew up with and made that decision to go into family medicine. When I finished my residency, I practiced for a few years and came to Community Health Network in 2010. And we installed Epic in 2012. And I got involved in optimization really for a selfish reason. I wanted to make sure that the system was configured to maximize what I was doing clinically. I was very busy in practice. And that led to becoming a physician builder, led to becoming the medical director of informatics, got involved in clinical variation reduction, clinical process improvement, reducing clinical variation. And through that, had a lot of experience with population health and our value-based care joint venture. So I also have extensive value-based care, pop health experience. And then just one thing led to another, another job to another job. And then 2018, we moved analytics out of IT, created a separate chief analytics officer was the first time we'd had that position. And I led the analytics department and the analytics center of excellence. And then about nine months after that, we decided to put things back together, but have IT roll up to me and informatics. And then it's just kind of a collection over the last few years of additional responsibility. So really an atypical journey. And if you'd asked me 20 years ago, this is what I would be doing. I would have to say absolutely not, but I love what I do. It's a new challenge every day. And a, you know, I think that we've done some really great things over the last few years. Yeah. And I think your journey speaks to advice you gave earlier of just kind of remaining open to kind of the universe or the world. And as you kind of walk down the path of life, kind of just if opportunities present themselves and they're interesting to just to go for it. You're absolutely right. It's funny. I had this conversation last night. So I have three children. One's a junior in college, one's a junior in high school, and then I have a freshman in high school. So obviously my junior in high school, we're going through the SAT preparation and, you know, all thinking about college and all those types of things. And I said, you know, as with any 16, 17 year old doesn't want to sit down and study for the SAT or those things. And I said, listen, you don't want any doors to close before they've been opened. You have a lot of opportunities. 
And so don't prematurely close those doors. And I think that's the approach that I've taken across my career is when a door is cracked, open it up and go through it and see what's in there. And I think that applies to other aspects of life as well. I love that. And speaking to that, what would you say is one of the most important things that you've learned in your life? And what was life like before learning it and after learning it? The answer to that question is probably very specific to me in my career. I think that you can never underestimate the impact that you have on other people. Meaning in my role as a family physician, sometimes it's easy to just go through the motions and it's on to the next patient or the next clinic day or whatever it might be. And I think oftentimes I'm surprised at you know, the stories that people will tell me or the patients that will tell me about the impact that I've had on their life that I may have not even realized it, right? I was just kind of doing what I was trained to do. And so I think that if you put it through that perspective, it can kind of change your mind. I think that's probably the most important thing. I've had other people that have come back and maybe it's a comment that I made, or maybe it's a story that I told them or encouragement that had a major impact on a decision that they made. So I think that's probably the most important thing for me, who tends to be more reserved and introverted, that you can never underestimate the impact that you have. Yeah, that's amazing. My mom taught me that early on. She's the president and CEO of a behavioral health nonprofit out in New Jersey. I think we talked about it. And the fact that, you know, when she helps one of these pregnant mothers and they go through that trauma and come out on the other side and then get supportive housing and then stay sober and get a job and become a productive member of society, you're affecting generations to come. That child gets to grow up in a loving home without the same traumas that mother may have gone through. And you break that cycle and, you know, it just goes to show you, like you're saying, impact one person, but it can have a profound effect, not only on that individual, but on the people in their kind of circle. Kind of the butterfly effect, if you think about it. We used to frame this as your biggest failure, right? But I mean, and obviously we've all had, or I've had plenty of failures, but maybe one of your biggest challenges, either personally, professionally, and it's something that you learned a really great lesson from. You know, I think that one of the biggest challenges I've had over my career is really leadership. So what do I mean by that? Well, you as a trained physician, you learn about decision making. Oftentimes, I'm the sole decision maker. What antibiotic to prescribe or what medication to prescribe or what's the diagnosis or what test to order, right? It's just kind of go, go, go. You make those decisions. You make an assessment, you make a decision and you keep moving, right? I went early in my career. I worked in the ER and I worked in urgent cares and it's high paced. Lots of decisions, you're making things very quickly. But when you transition to more of an administrative role, working deeply in the business, that's not the way the decisions are often made. And I think that that transition from in my leadership style was something that I had to learn over the course of my career. And I'm still learning, right? I don't want to give the impression that I've got it all worked out and I'm perfect and everything else. But that's a that's a real transition that I think physicians when they move into leadership roles in healthcare, have to make. And it's really that decision-making, authority, whatever word you want to use, it's something that some people transition well. I think we've all worked with people that transition not very well. And I think that's been the biggest challenge that consistently and consciously worked on over the last few years. Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, admittedly, as an entrepreneur, you know, when I started the business, obviously it was just me. As I hired more and more people, I had to learn a similar lesson, right? That I couldn't 
be the person who was doing all those things or making all those decisions? And how do I not manage people, but how do I touch, move and inspire people to want to follow the vision for what we're doing? So yeah, I really relate with that. I want to get into more about your current role at Community Health. But before we get into that, favorite book or literary piece that you're reading now or all time? I don't know that I have one of all time. I'm back to my curiosity statement. I like to read and then learn about all different things. And so I oftentimes have a book that I'm reading and a book that I'm listening to. So just finished a great courses on, you know, the history of England up to the Middle Ages. Over the last probably year and a half, I've read a ton on stoicism and big fan of Ryan Holiday who got me interested in stoicism. So I've read everything I can on that. Currently reading The Laws of Human Nature by Robert Greene. But I also love, you know, the last book that I've listened to before the Middle Ages was Quit by Annie Duke, the former poker player and thinking in bets. And so, I mean, it's all across the board, whether it's a history book or a business book or a leadership book. I oftentimes, though, have a book I'm reading and a book I'm listening to at the same time. Love that. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Audible. Okay, great. So Chief Transformation Officer at Community Health. What is your vision for the folks that you manage based on the overarching mission of the organization? The vision that I have for the organization is really be a driver for the organization to our mission and vision, right? To impact the every life that we touch and the lives that we serve, the communities that we serve. And so how do we create frictionless experiences, consistent experiences, equitable experiences with high outcome, looking at the total cost of care with the areas that I oversee? Yes, I oversee a lot of technology, but I also have executive responsibility for making sure we're successful in population health and value-based care and direct-to-employer relationships and insurance partnerships. So I'm constantly thinking about the whole picture as I look and work with my leadership team, the team that reports to me, we just went through a strategic planning process where we're trying to focus on improved patient experiences with reducing cost of care, whether that's care delivered or the cost that it takes us to deliver the care and then having the best outcomes that we possibly can. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And it's interesting because Classically, when I'd work with healthcare organizations years ago, I'd always work with the CIO. In the past few years, I've found myself having conversations with more and more chief medical information officers, chief health information officers, chief transformation officers who really have that focus on clinical and operational outcomes supported by technology, but really with the patient and the caregiver in mind, basically the vision that you just described. I really appreciate that. And I know that you guys are really living it. So what about some of the key initiatives that you're working on right now that roll up to that vision? So starting last year, we have not had an enterprise CRM. And so we're in the process right now of implementing a CRM that's launched, it should be live, hopefully, you know, early Q2. We're trying to maximize growth. And so how do we focus on expanding our footprint from a patient standpoint, looking at things like patient retention and reactivation of patients that maybe have have not followed up or lost, improving throughput and operational efficiencies 
in the hospital. I think that we're all struggling with some of the challenges that we're facing after the pandemic, and we've got to be smarter and really focusing on, again, focusing on that patient experience, continuing to digitalize as much as we can to create that digital experience as well. We just launched a renewed mobile app. We had had a mobile app for a long time that was just not functional anymore. And so we spent the last six months rebuilding it and relaunching it. So how do you create that mobile experience as well? What about some of the biggest challenges you're facing as an organization currently? I think the biggest challenge we have, which is not necessarily new, but it's been expanded expanded since the pandemic is, you know, how do we do more with less? How do we really be judicious with our resources? We labor challenges are always it's always a struggle in technology and healthcare. We're competing with a lot of big tech companies. And I think you've watched the news, you've seen what's happened in the tech sector over the last six to 12 months. And some of the challenges we have quite practically, we had a kind of an in-person workforce before the pandemic. And now we have a predominantly remote workforce. So how do you maintain that culture that we talked about earlier when people are now working from home and working all across the country and you never see them face-to-face and, you know, kind of creating those relationships that are so important to community. Community has been built on relationships. And I think that's one of the challenges that we face, but we're facing the same challenges everybody is. Labor shortages, labor costs, financial pressures and challenges, the downward pressure on costs. I think those are some of the biggest challenges that we have organizationally. Sure. Makes sense. It's a nice transition into another question I'd have for you. What are some of the best practices given an increasingly remote workforce, some of the challenges that you're facing, the goals that you have? What are some of the best practices that you and your team follow? The one that we really adopted this early in the pandemic, but it's frequent communication. And this sounds like, well, man, yeah, this is basic. What are you talking about? But I think it's surprising and shocking how many people have moved away from some of these basic things. So we have a weekly meeting, weekly leadership meeting with all the leaders in IT and analytics and informatics. And I've oftentimes said, is this something that's helpful? You guys want to continue this meeting? You know, is it beneficial? And it's overwhelmingly resounding. Yes, we want to continue. They thrive on that communication and the frequent updates. And I think we've gotten this to this point where everybody's been talking about the number of meetings that you have now virtually and digitally and just the meeting fatigue. And I think it's really going through and looking at what meetings are necessary and the frequent touch points. But I found that frequent touch points and being very clear about strategy and expectations go a long way. And I kind of made this comment to someone last week. I said, when you can be pretty clear on a strategy and direct on what your expectations are, and then let them go do what they know how to do, the results can just exponentially grow. So I think that's some of the best practices that we've tried to follow. Uh, Just be clear about what you expect and get out of the way. I love that. If you can create the type of culture that you've created where people are inspired to work for the vision that you guys are striving towards, and then, like you said, describe the strategy, set expectations, set a timeline for delivery, and then people are working remotely. Not only are they creating that better work-life balance where if I have to go pick up my daughter from daycare at four o'clock, but I come home at you know, five, and then I work from five to seven or whatever it is, you know what I mean? It increases or improves rather their quality of life with their family. And, and they're still getting the work done in the time frame that 
the organization needs it done by, right? And I've seen other organizations that are doing that successfully. Those are some of the same best practices. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Patrick, getting back, I kind of mentioned this at the beginning of the episode, but you know, I saw some of the things that you guys were doing with data analytics as we first met and some of the other really cool stuff that you're doing. What are some of the most innovative things that you guys are working on right now or that you have on the roadmap? Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, I think when people think innovation, they think, okay, what's the cool thing that's coming down the line? And I think for us, we view innovation a little bit differently, right? It's how do we maximize what we have? How do we use the technology that we have to the best of our ability? How do we really lean on partners? We really value partnerships. And if you look at our tech stack and our other stacks, it's really a laundry list of partnerships that we view. And so I think that's really, if you want to kind of call it innovation, it's not innovation as people think about innovation, obviously, but you know, how do we leverage our partners to do things differently and maybe do things push on their business model or technology or how they're using it. So we have a partnership with Qualtrics for our patient experience. Well, we have turned that platform around to measure all kinds of things along the patient journey. So is that innovative? I don't know if it's innovative, but we're maximizing the heck out of that platform to understand the friction points along the journey. So I'll give you an example of that. We often talk about access and the access challenges that we have in healthcare. Well, last year we had a measure on how long did it take to get an appointment for a new patient? So we would measure that. Well, there's all kinds of statistical and data issues with that. But at the end of the day, the problem we were trying to solve is did the appointment that we gave them meet the patient's expectations, meet their needs? And so now we're measuring that. And over the last couple of months, we've surveyed almost 100,000 patients about did the appointment that you received meet your needs? If not, why? And using that information for actionable change, which is much different than just it took 15 days to get a new patient appointment. That's very cool. Yeah, I've been very impressed by Qualtrics and the effect that it's having on, on healthcare. It's awesome that you guys are, are using it. I mean, that's what it's all about, being right. able to measure improvement. And that's just one of a dozen examples. I mean, we could fill up the whole podcast with examples of different things. So again, it goes back to how do you leverage what you currently have differently? I think that's where we're trying to be innovative. And I also just want to make a plug. I know, and we discussed this last time we met in person, just the fact that you're the chief transformation officer, but you do still practice medicine one day a week. And the fact that you're leading all these initiatives for the organization and and you eat your own dog food, right? You're the first person to test out these solutions. And I also think it creates a level of enrollment and empathy with the other caregivers that are ultimately or administrators or what have you that are going to use these solutions, right? Because you're able to kind of really get on that level, kind of put your arm around them and kind of walk them through that, which is really cool to see. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword for my partners, my clinical partners, right? Because we pilot and do everything in our office. Sometimes I try and go easy on them and let up on some of the pilots, but we try everything. And they like that because they get to be at the cutting edge of providing feedback and the IT team, the, you know, the Epic teams, and I see patients on Monday. So in the middle of the day on Monday, I'll send a message to say, why do we have this alert firing? Can somebody turn this thing off? This is ridiculous. So, but it's that real-time feedback when it comes to what's working, what's not working, what can improve, 
And that's very important to me. People often ask, well, when are you going to quit seeing patients or when are you going to stop? And I tell them I'm not. I think that's a key capability that I have. Quite honestly, it's what I've been trained to do. It's what I studied for many years to do. I don't want to give it up. Enjoy seeing patients. I have longstanding relationships with many of my patients and I don't want to give it up. And it does, quite frankly, it's written into my job description that I can't give up seeing patients. Even if I wanted to, I can't. And that was a mutual decision by my boss, the CEO and myself. That's how important it is to me. And while you were speaking, it also got me thinking about innovation and the fact that creating those feedback loops, moving quickly, failing fast, integrating feedback. I mean, that's innovation, right? I mean, the most advanced DevOps teams, like that's exactly what they're doing that, you know, and we try to preach that to healthcare because so often the enemy to inaction or the enemy to innovation rather other than culture is just bureaucracy and inaction. Yeah, just really cool what you guys have set up there at Community. It's also pretty Um, interesting because when I'm seeing patients, I can be a doctor and my clinical partners and my clinical staff, they know that I do something in administration. They know I'm involved with IT. They know I'm involved with analytics. Beyond that, they really don't know what I do the other four days a week. And so I can be, it's almost like I'm a different person that day versus the other days. And oftentimes people say, well, it's so much easier. I'm telling you, Mondays when I see patients, that's my easiest day of the week. The other four days and the challenges that we have and everything else, that's much harder than practicing medicine. Very cool. So Patrick, last couple of questions here. First would be, what do you think will be some of the biggest changes in the healthcare industry as time passes? Well, I think that there's going to be a couple. I think this financial pressures and challenges is not going to go away anytime soon. You know, how do we maximize, like I said earlier, how do we do more with less and how do we really optimize? I think that this aging of the population is going to be a challenge for healthcare from a technology side. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what some of the quote unquote non-traditional, which are now becoming traditional healthcare players in the healthcare systems, the Amazons and Googles and Apples and the What's their ultimate role? How do they end up in healthcare and how does that change healthcare? I think those are some of the big changes that are yet to be determined. You know, healthcare is oftentimes resistant as an industry is often resistant to change. And you talk to enough people and they say, yeah, we've heard this before, you know, capitated payments and single payer system. We've been on that down before and it never comes out. And so one day something's going to change. And, you know, we always question is today the day. And so I think those are some of the biggest challenges and changes in the next few years. Uh, You know, I think it's interesting too, what role does technology play, especially when we start talking about things like artificial intelligence and AI for the most part has been in healthcare has been relegated to some of the operational things like rev cycle billing, but that will eventually change in the future. I'm excited to see, I've been talking to some guys about the impact on radiology and imaging and ChatGPT and OpenAI, not to go down that rabbit hole right now, but the impact that could have on so many different areas of healthcare. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, I've been playing around with it and I'm just, I'm excited about that. I'm really excited uh, about that. But, you know, you bring up a great question, you know, for AI to happen and reading radiology images, for example, I mean, that's right. a technology question, but it's also an ethical question. It's also a medical legal question. You know, there's a lot of things that have to be addressed or changed for that to really take hold. And I think that there's a societal acceptance of that as well that has to occur. Great point. Great point. So, Patrick, nearing the end here, 
last question would be if you could go back 10, 15 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self? Yeah, David, that's a question I ask myself all the time. You know, what would I do differently or what advice would I give myself? And I think the first piece I would say is just don't be so serious. When you're in the heat of problems going on at work or life or whatever it might be, sometimes those things start to blur. There's things that are important and there's things that are not important. And like I said, when you're in the heat of it, those things tend to interface or blur together. And I think keeping that perspective is important. The other thing is it goes back to what I said earlier, right? Just continuing to learn as much as you can, continuing to be curious and never close those doors. I think that's probably the advice that I would give myself. I Obviously, hindsight's always 2020. You can look back and say, oh, you should have learned how to program or you should have learned more about AI or should have been more active in this or that. You can't live your life like that. So I think the bigger question is in five or 10 years, what would I be telling myself now? I think that's really the holy grail of questions. Yeah, I love that. And looking back on it, my journey led me to where I am right now, right? Which I have a beautiful family, a company. And like you said, the important things, right? I need to prioritize my mental, physical, spiritual health, my family, and then everything else. Patrick, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's great talking to you again. And to all our listeners, thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.